Well, today we're going to walk through in the series you asked for, because again, we took all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts that came in and we kind of curated them down to basically eight or nine different topics that were the top topics. And, and this is one of them, is spiritual warfare real? The question, is spiritual warfare real? And to be honest with you, the answer is absolutely yes. Last week we used in our sermon John chapter 8 verse 44. You remember that passage that, uh, that we read last week. And, and so we know it's real according to John 8 44, according to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll get to those in a few moments. But I, I want to read John chapter 8 again. I read it last week. I want to read it again to you today. And this is Jesus speaking and He says this, you are of your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Now here, and we used this last week, talking about the, the, the lies that are in our culture, the lies that we're hearing uh, in media, that we're hearing on social media from influencers and, and from all of those around us. And, and, and here, in the words of Jesus, when He's speaking this, He's speaking to a group of people who were challenging Him in what Jesus was teaching, what He was saying, what He was doing. They were constantly challenging Him on what He had to say, and here, Jesus returns the challenge, and he, and he tells them, and He speaks to them, and says, you are of your Father. Now understand, Jesus came to do the work of the Father, but here He's not talking about that Father, He's talking about the Father, He says, that is the devil. In other words, you're trying to do His work, and you're trying to do His work, and His work is just simply this, that He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, there's a truth that we need to kind of pull out. We didn't last week, but we want to pull it out today. When you see that verse, uh, go back a little bit if you could, in the first part of that verse. The idea that he was a murderer from the beginning, clearly the idea is simply this, is that Satan's job, his responsibility, his purpose, his vision, his mission, his mission statement is to take you down. He does not want you to have joy. He does not want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to simply like live life to the fullest and go out there and just have fun and, you know, if it feels good, do it. That is not what Satan wants. Now, obviously, a lot of that is equated with Satan and equated with his, you know, his purpose and what he tries to accomplish and the way that he accomplishes, but that's not what he really wants for you. Satan does not want you just to simply have a good time. What Satan wants to do is he wants to kill you. He wants to murder you. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief, Satan, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so when we talk about this concept of spiritual warfare, understand that in all warfare, going back to the very beginning of time, every battle that has ever taken place has always been one group who wanted to kill and subdue the other group. You understand that, right? Every battle, go back all the way to the very beginning, read through scriptures, read through, you know, history, read through even recent history through World War I, World War II. The picture is this, there's always been one side who wants to kill and to destroy the other side. And so when we read this passage, Jesus speaking, John chapter 8 verse 44, He was a murderer from the beginning. He wants to take you down. He wants to destroy you. And that is His purpose. And so when you are walking through life and even asking yourself the question, well, 
I, I realize that like church is important. I realize the Word of God. I get it. I, I realize that living as a Christian, but man, this stuff over here, it's just so much fun. Man, look at the fun that I can have. Look what I can do. And you see all these social media influencers telling, oh, if you'll drink this, if you'll take this, if you'll shoot this up, if you'll live this way, man, oh man, if you'll look at this website, man, it's so much fun. It's awesome. It's incredible. Understand, those are all ploys by Satan to kill you. And that, in essence, is really what spiritual warfare is all about. His responsibility and his job, and by the way, Satan does it really well, is to destroy you, and it's to kill you. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. Now, when you look at that verse, you look at that the, the fourth word there from the end, it's the word, say that with me, the, the fourth word there. Can you say it? Anyone. Say it with me. Anyone. He is looking for anyone that he can devour. What that tells us is this, Satan is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care how you grew up. He doesn't care how you've lived. He doesn't care what you have. He doesn't care the difficulties that you've walked through. He doesn't care about the the journey that you've traveled that has been challenging. He doesn't care about people who have hurt you. He doesn't care about even the successes that you have experienced that the world celebrates you for. When the world elevates you and puts you on a pedestal because all that you've accomplished, here's what I want you to know. Satan doesn't give a rip about any of that. He is no respecter of person. What persons, what he's doing is that he is prowling around like a lion looking whom he may devour for those he can destroy. Have you ever watched like National Geographic study, uh, documentaries? Man, I used to love those watch when I was a kid and I was growing up and I used to watch them and all those different, they'd go out in the savannah, you know, the Serengeti or the Masamara and they would, they would show the lions as they were going after the gazelles, right? And how the lions would get, you know, they would kind of get really low, and they would kind of, you know, creep through the, the, the grass there, the tundra grass, and they would, you know, creep around and kind of get to the place where they could look out and see, and they would see a group of gazelles sitting there, you know, just grazing or drinking water, and, the, and then they would make their ways around, and, and all the lions would get like in a circle, and they would all go about doing their work. All the, the female lions would do this. So the male lions are sitting back and just waiting, you know. They were lazy, you know, make the women go out and do the work, and then the male would come in, and he would scare the women away, and he would eat. Sounds a little familiar, right? Mother's day, I thought, yeah, I'll throw you a bone today, right, okay? And so, you know, you'd watch those, and, and so they would sit there, and they would wait for the exact moment when the gazelle looked at its weakest. They would look for the moment when the gazelle was at the point where it was distracted. It would look for the gazelle when it looked like that that it was at the point where it wasn't paying attention, or maybe it was weak, or, or maybe it was even hurt, and then they would pounce, and they would strike, and they would take that animal down, and all of the lions would then come in and devour and consume and destroy to kill that animal because that was their meal. Their purpose in that day, and a lion's only purpose is really to do one thing, is to eat, and the only way to eat is to kill. So I think that's why probably here in 1 Peter chapter 5, that's the reference that's given of Satan. That Satan is like a roaring lion. And he's prowling around and he's looking for anyone that he can devour. You are on the menu for Satan. 
Satan wants to destroy you and he wants to eat you. He wants to kill you. And he does that through spiritual warfare. It's very real. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And oftentimes we think we do. Spend some time online. It looks like we're wrestling against flesh and blood, right? Go to Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or all the other Instagram or whatever. It looks like we're, we're wrestling, fighting, battling against flesh and blood. We are not. We are wrestling against the powers of this dark world. We are, reference, uh, we are, uh, are, are, are battling against those who are, who, who are of the spiritual realm, not of this world. And that's why Christians should spend far less time attacking others who disagree with us and far more time praying for them and ministering to them and reaching out to them. We talked about that last week. Yes, we don't compromise. Yes, we stand on truth, but well, we love. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. It says that he came and that God is not willing that any should perish. And so our job and responsibility is not to fight an attack against flesh and blood. It's to reach them with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the only hope for the world. And that's what we must do. But spiritual warfare is real because Satan is real and Satan is powerful. And understand this, while Satan is not more powerful than God, Satan is more powerful than you. Satan does have more power than you do, and he wants to take you down. So let's go to the second question. What does spiritual warfare look like? Like, how can you recognize it? How, what is it about spiritual warfare that, like, should have your alarms going off, the red lights spinning, and, and the sirens blaring in your life so you can recognize what's happening? Well, the answer is just simply this. Fear, temptation, and anger, discouragement, stress, lack of trust, resignation, and so much more. Yes, sickness, disease, uh, all of these things are real, and all of these things are used by Satan to destroy you. Used by Satan to wear you down, used by Satan to discourage you, used by Satan to get you to the point where, so often we see it, where you feel like life is not worth living. Remember, what's Satan's job? To kill you. What's Satan's job? To kill you. And he uses these and all so much more to try to take you down, to try to destroy you. You see, Satan wants to lead us down a path which takes us further from the presence of God, that gets us outside of the presence of the security and the safety and the peace that only God can provide. And so what he wants to do is he wants to lead us down a path, and he does it through all of these different apparatuses that he has figured out a way to to get you. And understand this, he knows your buttons. He knows where to get you. He knows what will take you down. And he knows that what will take you down is different than what might take the person sitting next to you down. He knows the different elements. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our our frailties. He knows our our points of, of, of difficulty. He knows that sin that so easily trips you up, the Scripture talks about. He knows them. And so he uses them all. And he uses them all in, in a crafty, in a clever, and a powerful way in order to destroy us. He does it through attacking our health. He does it through attacking our mental health. He does it through attacking our marriages. He wants to destroy everything that is valuable. We see that picture in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. You know the story. We're not going to spend a time. You don't need to turn there, but you know the story that Job was going through. Job was a man who was following God. And God was, was actually talking about, man, look at Job. This guy loves me, and he's serving me, and he's walking with me. And then, you know, Satan says, yeah, but it's because he has all this stuff. It's because he's so healthy. It's because he's, you know, everything's good. Life is great. 
if he didn't have that stuff, he would, he would curse you and he would not walk with you. You know the story. And so God allowed Satan to begin to slowly pick away the things that, that Satan thought were of value, that Satan thought that the only reason that he was, Job was worshiping God was because that he had. And he slowly picked away all the wealth and the health and, and the family and the people. He took all of that away. And we know the story that in the middle of all of that, Job just said, yet he slay me, I will trust him. Why? Because Job was very keenly aware that the things of God are not nearly as important as the presence of God. The things of the world don't have any value whatsoever. And so what Satan does is he tries to make us think like the things of this world and the power and the status and the, the positions, like those are the things that are important. Those are the things that we try to work for. And by the way, he's doing a really good job of making us believe that, isn't he? He's making us believe that that is what is of value. And so when you think that those things are of value, then Satan has got his hooks in you. And he tries to take you down. And understand this, none of us are immune None of us are immune. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah, the story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. You know what took place there, right? Remember that story? On Mount Carmel, Elijah was there, 450 prophets of Baal. They had a battle there on top of the mountain of whose God was real. And you remember the story, like Elijah like completely put it in their face, like he destroyed them. You know, he proved to them their gods were of nothing, no value whatsoever, but his God could actually come down and he could devour the entire altar that was there, even the water that they poured on it, like all of it. It says it was lapped up by God. Why? Because that God is powerful. Elijah had a pretty big victory in 1 Kings chapter 18, didn't he? I mean, that was a pretty big moment for Elijah. Man, today, even today we celebrate Elijah and who he was and what he did. But you know what's interesting is rarely do we go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and read verse 3. Because when you go over to 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 3, after Elijah had this amazing victory, you know what's really cool for us to recognize in the context of our own lives? Here's what it says, then Elijah became afraid and he ran to hide. Think about that. Wait a minute, Elijah? He just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. He just like put it in the face of the king. Like he just showed that he was powerful and that he was the representative of almighty God. And now he's afraid? Absolutely. Do you think if Elijah went through that, that you can? The answer is yes. None of us are immune, none of us have gotten to the place where we are so tuned in to the power of God, the presence of God, that Satan can't figure out a way in the door to take you down. So recognize that, yes, Satan's out to destroy. Yes, Satan wants to take you down. And so it brings us to the next question which we've asked, how do we defeat it? How do we win in spiritual battle? How do we do that? How do we defeat spiritual warfare? Well, the answer is this, only through the power of the one who is within us. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than who is in the world. In other words, God himself dwells within us through the Holy Spirit that he has sent to be a comforter, to be an encourager, to be the one that comes alongside the advocate for us in our lives. And only God can defeat 
the powers of this world. It's important to understand and recognize this, that when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's not that Satan's coming after you. It's not a battle of Satan against you. It's a battle of Satan against God. Because Satan couldn't care less about you. You are of no value to Satan whatsoever. What he wants to do is he wants to defeat God. And the way that he defeats God is by defeating you. That's what he wants to prove. That's what he wants to show. But he can't do it. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Man, I love that truth. Because when you feel at your weakest, God is stronger. When you feel like you've got nothing left, God can bring you through in victory. When you feel like, I can't do it anymore, and everyone has abandoned me, and everyone has walked away from me, and I'm all alone in this world, that clearly the power that God gives to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within us at the moment of salvation, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan doesn't have a prayer against the power of God. And so in our journey and in our lives, what we must recognize is how we can lean into the power of God rather than lean into the whims and the temptations of the world. And unfortunately, so often we don't do a really good job of doing that. So how do we defeat it? We trust God. We lean on the power of God and the presence of God. The second question, as we, our second answer as we walk through how do we defeat it, and we walk through some of these ideas, the first thing is this, let go of fear. Charles talked about this a few weeks ago, fear and anxiety. I'm not going to spend a lot of time about it, but I want to I read a couple of verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, one we all know, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. When you are battling fear and anxiety, remember that that is not of God, it's of Satan. Do you understand that? God is not giving you the spirit of fear when you're afraid, when you're scared, when you're feeling anxious, when anxiety is overwhelming you. That does not come from God. God will never put you in a place where you should be fearful. God does not do that. God has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God has given. So don't give in to Satan's ploys. Another passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Now, let's think about that as you see that verse on the screen. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? His answer, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Go back to this verse. There is no fear in love. So what does that tell us? If you are loving God the way that God told you to love Him, then there is no fear. If you are loving Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there is no fear in love. When we are loving the way God intends for us to love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when we're loving that way, then God will help us to remove the fear from our lives, remove the anxiety. It won't be there. Why? Because there's no fear in love. Why? Because perfect love, I'm not talking about Hollywood love, perfect love drives out fear. And so what we do in how to battle spiritual warfare, let go of fear. Next answer, stand strong against temptation. Satan has figured out that his greatest weapon in most of our lives is to find that thing that trips us up 
and then throw it in our face every single day. That he wants you to see every day something that is related to that sin that so easily trips you up. So we go back to scripture. It says in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The picture here is this, is that the greatest way to stand strong against temptation is to fill your life not with the things of the world, but to fill your life with the Word of God. Years ago, I had a couple of college students who caught me one, one night here at church. We just had a worship service, one of the worship nights even from Liberty that they come over, an incredible night, and, and a couple of students caught me after the service that night. And, they said, can we talk to you for a few moments? Two young men, and, and they were there, and one of them had tears in his eyes, and the other one was, you could tell, he was nervous and fearful. I didn't know why, but I found out in a moment after he told me what they were dealing with, what they were struggling with, why they were so fearful to come to me and talk to me, because they said, listen, we're, we're, we're struggling, got to be honest, we're struggling against pornography. Like, it's a real battle in our lives. And man, I, we've tried and we've done everything we possibly can. Like, and, and it's like both of them saying, like, they, they, were, they lived in the same dorm. And like, man, it's just, man, we keep getting drawn back to our phones and those screens. And, and every time we go on our phone, it's just like it just draws us in. And like, man, what do we do? And we're on the computer. Like, it just draws us in. Like, how do we stay away from it? How do we find victory over pornography? And I told them that night, this was around the time that... The last, um, the, the movie that came out that Mel Gibson did, The Passion of the Christ, you remember that, that last movie that he did, a powerful movie, and, and if you ever saw that movie, there were images of, of, of Jesus when he was making his way to Golgotha, when he was being beaten and his face was bloodied beyond recognition and the blood was pouring off of his back where he had been beaten and all of those things, and, and I said, hey, what, what we ought to do is this, you ought to go online and you ought to grab a screenshot of that picture from the Passion of the Christ, when, when that Jesus was so bloodied and bruised, not, not the clean, you know, preaching at the Sea of Galilee Jesus, the one who had been bloodied and beaten and bruised, and, and get a screen grab, a screenshot of that, and make it the home screen on your phone and make it the home screen on your computer. So that every time that you pick up your phone and every time that you open your computer, the first thing that you see is a bloodied, battered, bruised Jesus. And that will remind you what Jesus went through to release you and deliver you from what it is that you battle and struggle with the most. Those guys said, that's a great idea. About six months later, one of them came back to me and they said, listen, I put that on my phone, I put that on my computer, and I just want you to know it's been six months. I've messed up one time in six months. One time in six months, because every time I look at my phone, every time I look at my computer, I'm reminded of what Jesus did for me. You see, what we must recognize is this, is that we have to hide God's Word into our lives, and that is the greatest weapon that we have to battle against the temptation that's real. And listen, temptation is real. You go to Matthew chapter 4, you go to Luke chapter 4, you see the picture, Jesus Himself was tempted. After fasting for 40 days, Satan says, ah, Jesus is weak. After he fasted for 40 days, Satan says, ah, I can get him now. Because in that, you know, he's not in heaven anymore. So he's got that 100% man along with 100% God. So yeah, he's hungry and he's tired and he's weak. Boy, I can take him down. And that's when Satan shows up. And by the way, if Satan shows up in that moment in Jesus's life, don't you think that's when he shows up in yours? 
Don't you think that's when Jesus or Satan shows up in your life is when you are at your weakest? Yeah, of course, the answer is yes. And so what we must do is we must get every weapon that we possibly can and put it and make it present in our lives so that we can battle against that which is so clearly the attacks that Satan throws our way. We have to stand strong against temptation. Now, we have to understand and recognize, because I know some people say this, some people use the reference and the phrase, you know, the devil made me do it, and they use that as a, as a cop-out. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I fell into sin, but man, it's the devil. It's not my responsibility. The, no, no, no. It's your responsibility. It's your choice. You chose to do wrong. And when you choose to do wrong, it's not Satan's sin against God. It's yours. And so you have to take responsibility. You have to take accountability. You have to be like, own it. Own your sin. And that's why we must hide God's word away in our hearts so that we might not sin against him because you can't do it on your own. You have to have the power and the presence of God every single day. So stand strong against temptation. Romans chapter 12 verse 21 says this, conquer evil with good. You want to destroy Satan in spiritual warfare, the battle that he has against you? Conquer evil with good. So stand strong against temptation. The next one, learn to forgive. Look what it says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Learn to forgive. Why? Because the lack of forgiveness usually hurts the offended far more than it hurts the offender. That the person who has hurt you, the person who has offended you, probably that person couldn't care less if you forgive them or not. And so what happens is when we don't forgive and we hold on to that that wrong, when we hold on to that anger, when we hold on to that, 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 that thing that we have against them, like, man, I just can't stand them. I want to get back at them. When we hold on to that and we don't forgive, what it does is it doesn't destroy the offender. It destroys the offended. In other words, it destroys you. That's what a lack of forgiveness does. And Satan knows that. So if he can get you angry, if he can get you mad because of the, the wrongdoing of someone else, and it is wrongdoing because we're, we're humans, we make the mistakes, Right? But when Satan can get you to hold on to that rather than forgive as Christ has forgiven us, that he's got you because he knows that will take you down. Learn to forgive. The next one, be encouraged and fight stress. Be encouraged and fight stress. Why? Because in life today, we're so stressed out because we're so busy and we're and whether it's through classes that we're taking or whether it's through, you know, things that we're doing at work or our processes that we're having to walk through, like, like whatever that looks like and whatever we're walking through, like we can get so overwhelmed, like we, we just can't do it. And understand that when you get so busy and so overwhelmed, you begin to get stressed and Satan has an open door. Remember how the lion prowls around looking for when the gazelle is the weakest looking for when the gazelle is the most distracted, looking for when the gazelle is not paying attention because it's so overwhelmed with the food or the water or the schoolwork or the, the classwork or the work work or whatever it might be. And that's when Satan takes the opportunity to pounce. And so be encouraged, fight stress. How do we do it? Psalm 55 verse 22, cast your burdens on the Lord. Why? He will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. 
You got to underline that in your Bible in Psalm 55, 22. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verses two and three. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall never overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. What does that passage tell us? It tells us this, no matter what you're going through, no matter how deep the waters, no matter how hot hot the flames, no matter how troubling the people around you are, God says, I will be with you because I am the Lord God of Israel. And make no mistake, If he was the Lord God of Israel, he's the Lord God of your life as well. God loves you with an everlasting, overwhelming, unbelievable, unimaginable love. And God promises to stay and to stick close. So understand, like when life is overwhelmed and when you're stressed, be encouraged. Corey Ten Boom said this, man, I love this. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. If the devil can't get you to do all the things that the world is doing, then what the devil will do is he'll get you so distracted and so busy and so overwhelmed that he's got the same open door into your life to destroy you as he does to the person who's caught up in all the things of the evil of the world. If he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Next one, stay engaged. And I don't mean stay engaged like don't break up with your fiance. I'm not saying that, okay? It's a good thing, don't, you know, don't break up. I mean, you obviously brought together for a reason. What I'm saying is like, stay engaged with the word. Stay engaged with the body of Christ. Stay engaged with people who can stand by you and pray with you and pray for you and help you through life's most difficult moments. Proverbs chapter 18, verse one says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. He who isolates himself seeks his own desires. I've said it often here, that isolation is the enemy to spiritual growth. That when you lock yourselves away because of the hurts, if you lock yourself away because of the stress, when you lock yourself away because you're overwhelmed, when you lock yourselves away because of all the busyness and all the distractions, when you lock yourself away from the people of God and the Word of God, understand this, it is the enemy to spiritual growth. You cannot grow in your walk with God unless you make sure you're engaging with the Word and engaging with the Bride of Christ. It's impossible. There are some people today said, oh, I don't need the church. I don't need the local church. Look at all the problems within the church. Look at the hypocrisy in the church. Look, look at that church down the road or look at that church over in that different state. Look what happened there. Look what they did. Look what that pastor did. Like, obviously, man, the church is full of broken, hurting people. I don't want to be a part of that. I can do this on my own. No, you cannot. And yes, you're right. The church is full of broken, hurting people. And if the church is not full of broken, hurting people, then that, job is, that church is not doing its job. Because the church is here so we can encourage one another and grow one another and strengthen one another and help one another and pray with one another and pray for one another and help together walking through life's great difficulties. Don't isolate. Stay engaged with the Word of God and stay engaged with the people of God. The last question. So can we actually win? Like if Satan's more powerful than we are, can we actually win this battle? And the answer is a resounding yes, we can. 
We said it already, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But look what it says again in 1 Peter chapter 5. Remember I told you to turn there? And you're probably sitting there saying, he forgot. I didn't. I saved the best for last. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 4 and following. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And in the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on Him because He cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now listen to this. Resist Him, firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers. You are not alone throughout the world. Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Suffered a little while? Why? Because we live in a broken world. But God promises that He will restore and establish and strengthen and support us. So to Him be dominion forever. Amen. Yes, we can win this battle. But not because of who you are, but because of who He is. Not because of your power, but because of His power. Not because of your strength, but because of His strength. Not because you are perfect, but because He is perfect. Not because you have paid the penalty of your sins, but because He paid the penalty of your sins when He died on the cross and when He was buried and when He rose again to give you victory. When Jesus walked out of that grave on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, here's why He walked out. He walked out so you can have victory over the prowling lion, over the one who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And while Satan might be more powerful than you, he is not more powerful than our risen, resurrected, living Lord. God has given us the victory, and there is nothing that Satan can do about it. There is no ploy that Satan can engage. There's nothing that he can try to do. He cannot take you down when you are standing on the truth and the power and the presence of Almighty God. Jesus Himself, John 16, verse 33, I've told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Those aren't the words of a preacher. Those are the words of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God who loves you with an everlasting love for which there is nothing that you could ever do to get him to stop. He loves you that much. Can we win this battle? We already have, because Jesus lives. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the word that you've given to us. We thank you for truth that we find in it. We thank you for the hope that comes from it. We thank you for the future that is promised. And so God, right now in this moment, I know there are people here that might be walking through the midst of a battle where life is tough, where they're feeling the attacks from every corner, and they don't know what to do. God, I pray right now that you would 
Lord, give them release. God, help them to see that they are not alone. And yes, we're with them, but more importantly, God, you are. God, I pray in this moment right today, you would help them to see what a mighty God you are and that you have already won the war. God, I pray that you would give them that peace and that comfort, encouragement today. God, for that person who's seated here today, who has never come to that moment where they believed that Jesus died and rose again. God, I pray right now the ultimate victory is found through trusting and believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father except through him and him alone. God, help them today to simply say, I want to know that Jesus. I believe he is your son. I believe he died and rose again. Forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. God, I pray that that would be the prayer in the hearts of those today who have not done so. And God, once again, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to conclude our service. And As is always the case, our team is here at the front, gathered around the front of this room. The altar is open. The answers to the things you're walking through are not found in in the wisdom of any person standing in the front of this room. It's found in the presence and the power and the hope that's found in God and God alone. And so uh, today, if you're here and you want to meet Christ, man, we'd love to share with you the truth that comes from Him. We'd love to have you come down in a moment and talk with one of our team members here and let them share with you who He is and what He's done. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and say, God, I've been in the battle, man, I've been in the war. And listen, make no mistake. When you are in the midst of the spiritual battle and spiritual warfare in your life where it seems like everything is out to get you, that's the easiest time to feel like you're all alone in the battle. You're not. I can guarantee you there are probably at least a hundred people in this room right now that are in just as serious and dire circumstances of spiritual warfare as you are. You are not alone. And so maybe today what you need to do is come and kneel at this altar and to simply say, God, I need you. God, I need your strength. I'm weak, but God, you're strong. And I encourage you to come and just kneel here. Maybe you want to come and talk with one of our team members about what it means to take next steps in your faith, whether it's baptism or whether it's, you know, finding a place to serve or whether it's, you know, finding a place to to connect and to grow a life group. Maybe it's a, you know, to come and, and to join our church family. Like whatever God is telling you today, like understand, isolation kills spiritual growth. But staying engaged and connected with the Word of God and the people of God is what helps you grow. And so today, maybe that's what you want to do. So so we're going to stand right now. We're going to sing, and Charles is going to lead us. And when we do, altars open. We encourage you to step out right now. Charles. You make a way when I cannot see. You are my strength. Though my heart is weak. Take my place on this battlefield you go before. You're my sword and shield. I'm not alone. Cause you fight for me. You always have, you always have my victory. Is it? 
here, some kneeling, some praying, some standing, that need to recognize the truth that we've talked about today. So as we conclude our service, our altar remains open, and I encourage you, man, don't dare walk out of here without making sure that everything is right between you and the one who has promised to bring you through in victory. So walk out of here today with heads held high. Is spiritual warfare real? Yes. Can we win it? We already have because of who God is. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.